0: Flyers Daily with Jason Martinez. Here we go. Brand new Flyers Daily for the 7th of January, 2024. Flyers Daily, as always, presented by Ticketmaster. Make more memories live. Flyers coming off a 3-2 win over the Calgary Flames. It was a wildly entertaining hockey game. It wasn't a high-scoring game. 3-2, five total goals. uh, But it was a very entertaining game. And I think part of that is due to the fact that these teams played just a week prior uh, on New Year's Eve, when the Flyers had that 4-3 loss in Calgary. And there was a little recent revenge, recency revenge, and a little bit of scar tissue from that game that carried over. It's almost a shame that these two teams won't play each other again this season. Uh, but a 3-2 win for the Flyers, where they outshot Calgary, 42-24. to And the odd part about this, I thought the Flyers possessed the puck a little more in this game. Not by a pronounced huge amount, and they obviously outshot them, 42-24, but they actually out hit them 20 to 11. It's my contention that usually the team that has more hits is the team that had the puck less. I don't think that was the case in this one. Faceoffs right down the middle, 50% for each side uh, in the face-off circle. No scoring in the first period. In the second period, it's Calgary who gets on the board. Jonathan Huberdeau is able to get his sixth goal of the season. That put Cal- puts Calgary up one to nothing in the game. So the Flyers have to overcome uh, being the team that has not scored first. Now, there was a long period of time where that was a death knell. Now, the couple times since, they've been able to overcome not scoring the first goal in a game, and they do here. But at 4.15 of the first period, Flyers get on the board. Morgan Frost, right at the side of the net, is able to corral a puck and then put it in past Jacob Markstrom. Sean Walker's initial shot was blocked, but Walker stayed with it got the puck to the net and Frost right there in the right spot, pulls it and is able to beat Markstrom, ties the game at one, Walker and Forster with the assist. But at 9-13 of the second period, 1-1 game, it's Mackenzie Wieger who sneaks in from the point and is able to get a backhand high over the glove of Carter Hart on a bit of a frenetic play. Blake Coleman and Andrew Mangiapane pick up the assist and Calgary goes back up to one but it's sixteen oh six. This is something you don't hear very often. Flyers score on the power play. It was a bit of an unconventional power play goal, but you'll take it. Morgan Frost is on the left side. And Sean Couturier, a lot of times you're always looking backdoor. But Sean Couturier, for lack of a better term, to steal an NBA term, posts up inside on the near post. Kind of in that spot where Wayne Simmons would be quite often on a power play. And he can get that puck there. He can look to pivot. He can look to stuff it. He can look to feed it back out high for a bit of a low to high play. But the puck kind of comes off the boards when Frost sends it down there. And Couturier recognizes that Jacob Markstrom does not have a good seal on his post. And he's actually moving back towards it. He didn't read it well. So Couturier calls bank, shoots it off the back of of Jacob Markstrom, and ends up in the back of the net. Power play goal for the Flyers. That's Couturier's 10th of the season, Frost and Zamula with the assist. So you'll take it. The power play has looked better. Prior to that, they weren't scoring goals. It would, it's been creating a lot more good opportunities. They had another power play in the game where I thought it was, it was a great power player all over them. They just couldn't solve Jacob Markstrom. Uh, but in the third period, Flyers go in tied and of late they've been in these tight games, either up a goal, down a goal tied going into the third, but in a close game and they haven't gotten the two point result that they've wanted. But in this third period, so you get the power play goal late in the second period to, to tie the game. And then in the third period, Flyers go shorthanded and who else but Travis Konechny streaks down the left side and is able to open up and uh, get Jacob Markstrom leaning. I think that was due to the fact that Markstrom had to honor a deke move from Konechny and he came out, took a little bit of ice. And when you when you have to honor that deke move, he had to shade a little bit short side and he had to give up something. He gave up a little bit of net on the long side and Konechny is able to fool him with the release and just beat him. And his 21st goal of the season, his fifth shorthanded goal, Flyers' first team to double digits in the NHL when it comes to shorthanded goals. They've now got 10. Scott Lawton and Cam York pick up the assists, and that's how the, the game would end with the Flyers getting that 3-2 win. Six assists in the game. Walker, Forster, Frost, Zamula, Lawton, and Cam York, all different players, as a matter of fact. A uh, two-point game for Morgan Frost, so six assists. That's 180 pounds of food being lo- uh, donated to local communities in need as part of the Flyers and Penn Medicine's uh, community assists. So we like that as well. We like the two points in the standings. A couple guys popped out. Obviously, Frost came back in the lineup, had a golden assist in the game, thought he played really well and was really patient with the puck and kind of used his variance in speed and burst to create some space for himself. I thought that Cam Atkinson played a really good game. He had two unbelievable pseudo breakaway scoring chances and he just couldn't get it to go in, had another good scoring chance in the game, but I thought he played well in his return. Um, So both guys that were out came back in. I thought they performed really well. And the other thing is, you know, you got a goal from a a line other than your top line. You got the goal from Morgan Frost. Couturier scored the power play goal, so that kind of counts as a top line goal and Keneckney gets the shorthanded goal, even though it wasn't his line that was out there. It's the same players, Couturier, Keneckney, Farabee have been in on so much. Farabee had to miss about, I think, 16 or 17 minutes of game action after Cam York took a, a really ugly hit from Elias Lindholm. And he kind of jumped in on Lindholm, got an instigator of five, two, five and ten. Um, so 17 minutes he had to be out, uh, but he came back and uh, was a a good jolt in the arm for that top line, once again, and controlling play. Not necessarily scoring after the connecting short goal, obviously, uh, but controlling play and tilting the ice. As for the hit on Cam York, uh, on the radio broadcast, I spoke about it a bit, and I really didn't like the hit. Now, Elias Lindholm's not a dirty player, doesn't have that reputation, but there's a couple elements to it that bothered me. Um, it was a defenseless player that had gotten rid of the puck considerably in advance. Now. Why was he defenseless? Well, he lost an edge. So I, I got a uh, a DM from Sean uh, Money D, and he said, um, it would not have been a dirty hit if York didn't wipe out and put his own head at Dasher level. His front skate lost its edge. It would have been an everyday finished check. Players have to start taking accountability for turning to avoid hits. This one was a prime example. Well, Sean just totally contradicted himself. He lost an edge. He didn't do it on purpose, and he didn't turn. He was down because he lost an edge, so he was in a crouched position, therefore in a vulnerable state. Some, and I agree with Sean. A lot of times players just turn and put their back to a guy and in, almost invite a dangerous hit from behind. York did not do this here. He lost an edge, and he becomes a kind of a defenseless player at that time, and there was plenty of time for Elias Lindholm to pull up. Not only that, but not only pull up, but not put the forearm and elbow to his head and drive through him. That's the part that I had a problem with. I agree. Players put themselves in that position quite, in, quite often in the NHL. And, I, and they do have to take some accountability um, when that is done intentionally. This was not done intentionally. He did not turn his back to the player. He did not put himself down low at making a decision to do so to make himself more vulnerable and draw a penalty. it What Sean said totally contradicted himself. That is not how the play took place. He he was right. His front skate lost an edge and he went down low and that's what caused that. But if you wanna say players have to start taking about uh, accountability to avoid hits, this one's a prime, it's not a prime example. It's not even close to a prime example. So Sean, I totally, Disagree with you on this example, but do agree that players have to make sure they don't put themselves in those bad positions. Um, So there's that. Um, Let's get to some actually some some tweets and some DMs as well. Uh, Bob Haynes DM me and said question about the power play said in five on five and on the PK, the Flyers pressure everything and go up tempo with the attack. Yeah, They do. They're a high transition offense team. They want to get back on you quickly. He said, this helps a team with less superstar talent generate offense. I think it also helps a team with superstar talent. I think it's just the way to play in today's game. But Bob goes on to say, yet on the power play, they bring it out and drop it back to let all the four, four defenders get set. Why? He said they should, they should try to create chaos on the power play and make defenders make decisions on the fly, not slowly being able to sort things out as guys skate with the puck 200 feet. Any thoughts? He said, "If you cannot tell, I hate the slingshot pass strategy." He said, "Even after the setup in the zone, they move slowly. Attack, uh, attack makes the defenders make quick. Will make the defenders make quick decisions, which just causes mistakes." Bob, you've heard me a ton. I say this a lot. The more decisions you can put a defending team to make in a sport like hockey, the more chances there are for that team to re- make the wrong decision. So, yeah, I, I agree. In that sense, but as far as creating mayhem on the chaos on a power play, that has nothing to do with obtaining the zone. The slingshot is intended, and I don't love it either, but it is intended to have a player come up the ice. soon as he's pressured, drop it, so now the player that's going to enter the zone in a five-on-four situation can assess the best place to enter the zone to get the puck in down below the top of the circle and get set up. It's just a zone entry technique. You don't want to dump it on the power play because the power play is all about possession. So you want possession carries into the offensive zone to get things set up. Um, That's why all teams use it, at least in my opinion. As far as when they get in on the power play, yeah, I, I think they're a meat and potatoes power play type team. That's what they need to be. They do need to create more chaos on the power play. There's an instinctual thing that when you have a five on four advantage, it is about puck possession. So you're trying to move the puck around and you're trying to get quality opportunities over quantity because you have the, the extra man on the ice. You should be able to exploit that if you operate the right way and you keep moving the puck and you're other line mates or the offensive team doesn't remain static. They're always moving because if they're always moving, then the coverage is always shifting. And again, back to a decision, you then have to wait for the the team that's defending to miss an assignment. And look, I'm all for getting pucks to the net and crashing it even on the power play. I, I don't mind getting the puck back to the point and then having guys go hard to the net, but On the power play, you don't want to just go out to create chaos. You're going to go out to create quality scoring chances. Chaos is not what I would consider a high quality scoring chance. They're more of, okay, we got to just go bananas here. And that's the way that's the way we're going to score. Now the power play hasn't worked, so we can kind of dissect it from that standpoint as well. But they get a power play goal in this game and it's an unconventional one. All right, before we get back to uh, some of the commentary, let's get to our feature interview. I had a chance to catch up with Flyers defenseman Yegor Zamula after the game, and here's what he had to say. Post-game, we're with Flyers defenseman Yegor Zamula. Um, Quite the spirited contest there, all the way to the final buzzer, huh?
1: Yeah, I think it's a great game. It's uh, fun to watch for fans. I think uh, we play a great hockey game. We play fast, aggressive, trying to make a place, and... uh, Finally, finally, we score a big power play goal. And uh, I think uh, PK guys, uh, Cam York, uh, Seals, LD, and uh, Kutz TK play outstanding game and Hartsey uh, as well. So it's a big two points for us and uh, we're back on track. Z,
0: what has being on the power play meant to you? Because it seems like it's giving you confidence, but not only on the power play also in 5-1-5, in particular, defending your own blue line against the rush.
1: Yeah, I mean... Uh, it's always fun to uh for, for, to play in a power play when you're playing in the best league uh with great players it's uh i mean i'm happy to play in a power play and i try to help my team i try to do good uh break, um, what's a call? uh breakouts yeah. and uh, i try to shoot a puck more as i can and uh, pass to my uh flanks I, I think that you're keeping it simple and not
0: trying to do st- something that you're not, you're, you know, you're looking for those lanes to the net from the blue line, and if not distributing the puck, is that are you trying to keep it simple?
1: Uh, no, uh, I mean, he put me in a first power play, and I know, like, uh, tip, have uh, a great shot, cuts every every time in the front net, so I try, I will try to play in uh, different looks, because if you, every time shooting, like, stupid shots, and never, never, never goals, so, we try to create something, sometimes simple, sometimes we try and do different ways, and uh, I'm happy we score big goal today.
0: Um, talk about the environment in the building today. It was a very full house in here today. Good vibe, good entertainment, as everybody just seems to walk in front of my camera, shot uh, and not care.
1: I'm, I'm so happy. Fence is back. We start playing uh, better and better, and the Fence is back in the building. It's uh, extra number six. Uh, you feel that, right? I, oh, yeah. It's like... It's an extra six-player for us. So fans, unbelievable. It's a, I know I'm from Russia and I know Philly fans. It's crazy, crazy is good. Uh, always support Eagles, Phillies, soccer, hockey too. So we need them.
0: Z, thanks for doing this. I'm so happy for you. You're playing really well. Thank, Thank you.
1: you. Thanks to Igor
0: Zamula, boy, he looks comfortable out there. Let's get to some Flyers Twitter commentary points before we get to a couple other, a uh, couple more. Um, things that came in via Twitter, Uh, what do the two points mean for the Flyers in the standings? What was the impact? So two points, they go from 44 to 46. It ties them with the Islanders for the third spot in the Metro. Islanders are actually ahead of them because they have played one less game, although the Flyers have two more regulation wins than do the Islanders. Uh, They are now three points back of the Carolina Hurricanes. They have a game in hand on the Canes. Canes did not win last night. And they are now two points up on the Devils who do have a game in hand. Four points up on Washington, who's got two games in hand. And uh, they are four points up on the Penguins, who we'll see Monday. And the Penguins have a game in hand. So things still insanely. Seven points from second place to seventh place in this division. That's why that two points was really important for the Flyers. And to get that home win, I think, was really important, too. On a month where they'll play a total of nine home games of 14, and they have seven more home games in the calendar month of January as well. So I think it's an important win uh, to get at home, get settled at home. Now you got the uh, the Penguins coming up on Monday, and you go from there. So we'll see how that plays out. John Garber had tweeted into me at Jason Mert J A S O N M Y R T on Twitter. He said this was another Flyer game where the Flyers get a revenge win. I've talked about the revenge tour when they went out to L.A. and Anaheim and and those teams and how they did really well in revenge. And I believe in revenge, especially recent revenge in sports. You know, the Flyers lost to Calgary a week ago. They come back, they get the win. You know, the Flyers beat Detroit at Wells Fargo Center and won nothing. Then they went to Detroit and lost within a week of each other. Revenge, I think, means a lot. Um, he said the upcoming revenge tour, though, January 18th, the Flyers have Dallas. They lost to Dallas earlier this season. I think it was their first road game of the year. Uh, our second road game of the year. Um, Then they get February 10th. They get Seattle, who they lost to 2-1 to one in overtime on that trip out uh, to West where they just completed uh, after the holiday. And then he said March 12th, San Jose. He said the Flyers may have a win against every team in the NHL this season. Winnipeg's a team they haven't played yet. They'll play their first game against Winnipeg coming up next week. Winnipeg really good too, by the way. Uh, that'll be the first game, and then they'll play them at Wells Fargo Center. Uh, a little bit later this season. Matter of fact, when do they have Winnipeg at Wells Fargo Center? I cannot stand it on my schedule, of course not. Uh, but we'll see what, when that is. Yeah, Winnipeg uh, will be February eighth at Wells Fargo Center. So that's pretty close together. A couple, you know, two and a half weeks between those two games. Uh, one more tweet came in from Carson Big Cars fifty three. He said, "I chase Mert. How do you describe this Flyer season?" to non hockey fans. That's kind of a weird question, right? How do you describe it? Because he goes on to say when the guy who watches one game a year asks me how the Flyers are doing, I feel like there's so much context to cover in order to properly paint the picture. But what would you say to the average Philadelphian? So how would I describe this season? I would describe this season pretty simply to a person that is going to lack the context. I would say This team is a throwback team in the sense of Flyers teams from the past that work incredibly hard. They need more talent, but they overachieve because of their detailed play, how hard they work, and how together they are as a team. That's how I would describe them. I would also describe them as very entertaining because because of the honest way they play, the way they work, the way they prepare. Um, we all respect that, but they also play a brand of hockey that is very up-tempo, high-flying, and emotional. It's, it's why I think Travis Konechny is so important to this team. He's the emotional leader of the team. I mean, he's got 21 goals. I mean, he is just having an unbelievable year. I, I always thought Konechny would be a good player in the NHL, but he is just rounded into such a complete player. when. You can get him on the PK and he can be one of the best penalty killing forwards in the NHL that also can provide offense. He's a top power play player, even though the power play is not good. And he's a very good five on five player as well. Does he make some mistakes and some bad decisions? Absolutely. A, a lot of great players do. And guys that generate a lot of offense because you have to take on risk. And sometimes it's not going to work out. But, uh, but I would describe this team if I if there was a face and an identity in one player, I would put on the team, it would be Travis a guy who goes incredibly hard to the net, a guy who plays with a lot of emotion. Um, that would be kind of how I would describe them, at least at this moment, I would. Um they're a team I think that Philadelphia fans can be proud of. and I, and I will tell you that if you weren't at the game yesterday or you weren't at the game, In Columbus, and I hope it came through on TV, but the crowds have been unbelievable. That building yesterday for the Calgary game was packed. It wasn't sold out, but it was packed. That was a packed house. On a day when there was some weather, a day game, all that, still in football season, that was a really good crowd. They were treated to a really good hockey game, too, an entertaining hockey game. They went home happy. Things are really starting to turn here in Philadelphia. And what happened yesterday pregame is a, is a big part of that. The way they honored Ed Snyder on what would have been his 91st birthday was totally classy. Very well done. I'm not sure who put the video together or the presentation. It was good to see the Snyder family there. You know, Lindy Lou came out for the uh, ceremonial face-off and the new mayor was All of those things. The Flyers hit it out of the park. We used to take that stuff for granted because it happened all the time. But then we just got done a period of time where that stuff wasn't happening. And those things are coming back. And I think that's a big element that Flyers president of hockey operations, Keith Jones, brings to the table. The awareness to know what matters to the people that are sitting in the seats, what matters to the people that are home watching on TV, what matters to the people in their car that are listening on the radio, what matters to Flyer fans. That's what Keith Jones knows. That's a great trait to have. All right, coming up tomorrow, we are going to preview Flyers pens. We're going to do that, and plus look at the week that was and the week ahead uh, with our Monday guest, Bill Meltzer. It will be a Mondays with Meltzer coming up tomorrow. So join us then for a brand-new episode of Flyers Daily.